Thank you for downloading the Engineering Commons. In this episode, we talk about the potential uses for augmented and virtual reality in the engineering profession. Along the way, we talk about the causes of cyber sickness, the usefulness of Kung Fu, and the philosophical underpinnings of living in a computer simulation. The Engineering Commons explores challenges encountered by engineers, regardless of field or industry. Join Adam, Brian, Carmen, and Jeff as they discuss issues of interest to today's engineering professional. This is Episode 120, Augmented Engineer, November 14th, 2016. Adam, do you wish you could plug into the Matrix? Um, not as much as I did back in in college. You know, differential equations would have been so much easier to download than have to, you know, <laughs> sit through a lecture and learn. What are you going to use those for, anyways? Well, absolutely nothing. That was kind of the point. <laughs> I mean, it, nowhere near as applicable as kung fu. Oh no, no, not at all. I know kung fu. Yeah, I mean, I have daily uses for kung fu. Differential equations. Psh. <laughs> the matrix holds up that's a, at least when you go back and look at a lot of the movies from your adolescence it's really good to see that some of them still don't suck just don't go back too far and you will become very disappointed hmm. and so what is it about the matrix that you think keeps it so relevant in today's age I think it was a inherently cerebral movie that didn't make a lot of <laughs> pop culture fashion cues. I mean, it was pretty counterculture for what it was as opposed to say, um, and this, I think this is true. If you go back and look at the original Tim Burton's Batman, it, it, it was very poppy. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the Prince music, you know, and, you know, as a good Minnesotan, I can appreciate Prince, but wow, it makes that movie definitely seem like it's from the eighties. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, it, it seems much more like a product of the time as opposed to, and, and there are movies that don't do that, like, you know, Blade Runner or, you know, for that, you know, uh, Mad Max for that matter, mm-hmm. or it's not just about the age of the film, you know, the directors can make choices that make it seem, will make it seem relevant at the time and seem really dated fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. And it looks like the good people who made The Matrix, I think it's Wachowski, at the time, brothers. I don't know that they're both brothers anymore. Um, they made some good choices. Right. Well, I mean, The Matrix did become, you know, pretty popular in pop in pop culture eventually. Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, and it drove the pop culture use of bullet time, which, mm-hmm. which my uh, uh, filmmaker college roommate absolutely hated. <laughs> But it's a classic technique. It's American cinema at its finest. <laughs> uh, for for about five or six years there, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I think you could say above and beyond bullet time, it was one of the first movies to, I think, really throw the notion of what is real and not real out the window. Mm-hmm. Yeah, specifically with the use of computer graphics. Um. I'm trying to think if there's it was a movie that was prior to that 
part of the Matrix that really wrappered the entire movie in CG. And it also, where the CG wasn't so much of a gimmick, but it was something that really made the story work. Like, even when you go back and watch Jurassic Park, as transformative as that was, I mean, it was still largely a gimmick, at least that's how I remembered it. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of the story was was compelling, but, I mean, I would rather go back and watch The Matrix any day than watch Jurassic Park. Right. But... Right. Well, now does the uh, the whole theme of the Matrix uh, resonate anymore with you now that there's discussions of people uh, wanting to research whether we're part of some sort of massive software simulation? <laughs> I've never liked that hypothesis, anyways. <laughs> well, I I figure it explains the uh, you know the whole multiverse thing that you know you have all these different paths in the uh, code, and that you know on some path in in some uh, state of the computer uh, memory. I am, uh, you know, king of the world, uh, rich and famous. In others, I'm a pauper. And in uh, in this particular running of the code, I am who I am here. So it gives me some hope that uh, that the other Jeffs are are doing quite well. I've never liked the idea because it's it's to me it's no different than the who created God paradox. If God created everything, who created God mm-hmm. and if we are in a simulation, how do the people who created the simulation know they're not inside of a simulation? Right. And those people, are they, is it just simulations all the way down? To paraphrase, I, Hawkins, I think, was paraphrasing Huxley, but. Right. Well, so what you're saying is the, the, the concept of being in a simulation doesn't answer the basic question of how did we get here? No, not even that. I mean, yes, you could say that, but also at maybe even a higher level, it it it's. I've always thought it's a crap argument because it's an unnecessary argument. It would be unnecessary for us. The I don't know. This is too philosophical, and I haven't (laughs) I haven't had enough booze. (laughs) But it's. When I have thought about this at depth, it fails Occam's razor in a profound way that makes me uncomfortable with even thinking about it. It seems deep, kind of like people who are high will say, man, could you imagine that the universe is an atom inside of some other being's body? Mm -hmm. Well, okay, where does that end? Right. And there was the – you guys have heard that apocryphal story about the turtles, right? I have, but I there's something about stacking t- turtles all the way down. Yeah, and, and if I if I can not hose it up too much, it was it was in Hawking's book, and I think he was quoting uh, Huxley or paraphrasing where he was giving a press conference and was explaining how time and the universe worked, and somebody interrupted and said, "Well, that's all nice and good, but we all know that the Earth is." Oh, geez, now my thing's talking to me. Um, uh, Sorry, I get interrupted um, by my own machine here. How appropriate. But, yeah, it strolls all the way down. I'm going to leave it at that. All right. (laughs) And this this is different than Dr. Seuss's Yertle, the turtle. Yes, very much so. (laughs) At some point here, I'll explain why I'm so confused and struggling with all of this. Okay. So, I guess, what's our topic for the night? Well, 
this evening we thought we would talk about augmented reality and virtual reality and how it might affect the future of the engineering career. Uh, so we've, uh, we've titled the episode, The Augmented Engineer. Perfect. Hence the, the opening question about plugging into the matrix, because who knows if that's uh, so far off in the distant future. We, you know, we wanted all the facts and all the specs. Maybe we just plug into the, plug into the supercomputer that is the matrix. So, Jeff, maybe I should explain why I'm so distracted at the moment. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, at least half of the topic of the evening, AR versus VR, is near and dear to my heart. Mm -hmm. And at the moment, I am actually sitting inside of virtual reality as we speak. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, what is the world that you're looking at? Well, right now I am in an application inside of my Oculus Rift called the Virtual Desktop. Okay. Um, it's assuming that my computer doesn't blue screen of death anytime soon, as it has twice already this evening. Oh, my. Um, geez, like how do you describe it? I am, I am inside of what looks like a giant valley or maybe, yeah, kind of maybe like an African Rift Valley. Mm-hmm. And I am suspended about 15 feet above the ground. There's grass and small bush-like plants and rocks underneath me. Mm -hmm. And my screen is wrapped around me as if it was probably three or four feet away. And it appears to be about, let's call it about six feet tall and probably 25 feet diagonal. Okay. So it takes up most of my field of view. It's only that I can tell that I'm inside of a larger space when I look, you know, way up and way down. Right. And when I when I totally turn around and thus stop talking to my mic. Right. But uh, yes, so it is my desktop rendered in front of me as if it was on a big glass plane. Wow. Wow. And and so is this entire space useful, or is it so far off that that the you're really not able to use the, this entire space? It's a good question, actually, and that's why I've been so distracted because it's it's so it's so weird to be, have it wrapped around you that it, like a lot of the intuitive things that I would normally pick up on, like where windows should be, everything seems a bit off. You know, not that like the program's failing in any way, shape, or form. I'm just I'm not used to looking at it this way. Hmm. Okay, so. Would it be useful to me in a day-to-day -day environment? Well, I guess that's what we're going to talk about tonight. You know, what are the uses of, I guess, the unfolding revolution going on with virtual reality and augmented reality? Right. Well, so maybe we should start with just the uh, the difference in in uh, definition between those two. What what is the difference between virtual reality and augmented reality? Oh. Well, not being an industry insider, I'll do my best, but virtual reality uh, would tend to totally obscure the environment around you and seek to replace a or paint a totally new environment in your field of view to teleport you to another place. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, it, it doesn't make use of any of the environmental cues around you. And augmented reality would basically be 
adding things to your field of view as you would normally interact with your environment to enhance or change the way you view it. So I guess, you know, the simplest way to think about it, virtual reality, you put on the glasses and you're on Mars. Mm -hmm. Augmented reality, you put on a... We lost Brian for a minute. I'm guessing blue screen. Blue screened again. Okay. All right. There we go. Oh, man. Yes, we can hear you again, Brian. Yeah, my computer blue screened. <laughs> um, this will be the lost episode we never release because Jeff just like starts crying when he listens to that audacity. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, virtual reality is not quite to the point um, to be extremely practical for daily work use. I would agree 100%. It's, but it's not a technical limitation of the software. Or, or I guess, I think at this point, anyone using virtual reality for actual work is, you know, has got a tool in, in search of an application. Mm-hmm. Um, so virtual reality, you, you, you were in the midst before you disappeared. You had, you had said what uh, VR is, virtual reality. That was like you're painting a new environment. And you were just getting ready to tell us what augmented reality was in comparison. Yeah. Okay. So augmented reality is, I don't want to overcomplicate this. It's augmenting your reality. <laughs> it's, it's your general. It's like a heads up display. Yes, exactly. You're generally looking through some sort of a, you're generally looking through some sort of a transparent or semi-transparent interface and having additional information rendered onto your environment like it's there. So think Google Glass, but also think Google Glass, not as it actually was, but, you know, what it could be, (laughs) if that makes any sense. Okay. So so you had mentioned uh, in one of our off-air conversations earlier that that virtual reality exists, but augmented reality doesn't really yet exist, or or is it there? Well, okay. So the question is, does it exist in in a meaningful way? Like virtual reality existed for, um, I guess it's, it's the classic answer depends. Virtual reality has dis, has existed for you know twenty years in you know one crappy form or another, but I don't think it's become technically relevant to consumers and to engineers until probably the past two years. And I would say augmented reality is coming quickly but it's still nowhere near as advanced as vr is currently um so a good example of what i'm talking about you've got you know four major potential and current vr and ar platforms and i'm going to exclude some but i guess that'll piss people off and i don't care (laughs) um but it illustrates the point and it illustrates where the technology is. Sure. You have the Oculus Rift and the HTC Vive. Um, the Oculus Rift, you know, and Oculus as a company both before and after Facebook acquired them were really the vanguards of reintroducing the whole notion of virtual reality back into, I guess, the technical ethos. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, 
for those of us who are old enough, virtual reality was a conceptual idea that you could try out at a mall at an exorbitant cost and have a horrible time back in the early 90s or mid 90s. And, you know, it was also the thing of science fiction, you know, think Lawnmower Man and uh, a whole bunch of other crappy movies. But, you know, <laughs> it, it was conceptualized back at that time, but the technology could not make it a reality. Mm -hmm. And I guess if Oculus did anything, it was that they demonstrated that mobile technology could be utilized to make a lot of those things work. That quietly, because a lot of the problems that had been solved for making iPhones and Android phones were directly applicable to um, making virtual reality displays. You know, you didn't have to have a dedicated virtual reality company to develop all these technologies. You just had to convince one of the LED panel manufacturers, I think Samsung primarily, to give you the glass. Mm -hmm. And they did. Okay. Um, and then get a multi-billion dollar company to bankroll the rest. <laughs> right. And around the time, uh, and I don't mean to diminish Steam, Steam, Valve, uh, was also doing a lot of development and there was a lot of shared talent between um, Valve and Oculus. Mm -hmm. uh, and now they've launched maybe some would say rivals. I think most would say rivals. I'd say they are companion systems that are directed towards consumer usage. Mm -hmm. uh, the Rift and the Vive. Okay. So right. you can go buy those and like, you know, they might be expensive, and they might have their limitations, but you can go buy them. Right. And you can use them on a daily basis. There's games and things you can do on it. So for those of us that have no clue what what kind of order of magnitude are, are the dollars required to purchase one of these things? Uh, you're probably talking in the neighborhood of 500 to 1000 bucks. Okay. And that's making assumptions about, you know, the kind of computer you have. Right. So... You know, both of both the Rift and the Vive require relatively hefty um, PCs that are probably not uncommon for engineers to have. To be honest, I I had a close to min spec system that was built two years ago okay. because I do a lot of CAD work. The only thing I had to do was upgrade my graphics card. Okay. So if if I totally ignore the cost of the PC to, that requires to run it. You're talking six hundred, seven hundred bucks. Okay, and then maybe another two, three hundred bucks in graphics cards. Um, okay, and, and the name. So the I want to see if I have this right. Like I, I think that what we're saying is there's like Apple, iMac, and then there's a model. Is the Rift a particular model, or is it just a, a brand name for a family of devices? Good question. Uh, Rift is made by the company Oculus. Okay. So so the Rift is the product. The company is called Oculus. Okay, but right now they only have one product. Uh, I mean, at some point, yeah. is there going to be Oculus Rift 2, Oculus Rift yes. 3? Okay. Yes, and the only reason I hedge a little bit is because, you know, they're launching something called Oculus Touch, which are the <laughs> hand controls that, you know, go with the Rift. Uh, would you consider that a different product or something that's basically should have been packaged with the original device and they didn't I, you know uh and vive is uh made by the um uh, i believe it's a taiwanese company it's a cell phone manufacturer called htc mm -hmm. 
and I'm going to get this wrong, but you'll get the spirit of what I'm trying to say. Sure. I think HTC largely lever largely leveraged um, technology developed by Valve. Okay. I know there's a lot of shared work between the two. Um, like their head tracking system, I believe, was largely developed by Valve and probably licensed for free, but I don't know anything about the business relationship. It seems remarkably hand off, hands off mm-hmm. as closely as HTC Vive is as is tethered to Valve. Right. I, I, it seems largely hands off. Okay. Um, okay. So that's the current state of VR. Uh, there's other ones too, but let's just pretend like those are the only two for the sake of discussion. Augmented reality. Let's forget about Google Glass. Okay, <laughs> that would be the first one that would come to mind. Sure. Like, and if you if you saw the like the YouTube videos for what I guess the marketing literature said Google Glass would be, that's close to it. Mm-hmm. The closest that you can buy is the Microsoft Hololens. Okay, but that you really can't buy. You can buy, I believe, a developer kit for it, and it's quite expensive. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not a go to Best Buy and pick up your hall lens kind of thing. Um, and from what I've heard, it's intriguing. Where you basically are looking around an environment, you know, you're looking through a mask, and it is painting over the surface things that do not exist at all. Right. If that makes any sense. Right. So it, so it is like, uh, it is the idea of Google glass though. So if you look down the street, then there are little signs pop up telling you what, what stores are down the street or what the cost of coffee is down the street or what historic sites you might see if you wander down that street. So yeah, that was Google glass. I mean, you're, you're hundred percent right. What I would say is, um, HoloLens is a different beast. HoloLens is much so Google Glass was much more of a get out in the world kind of thing. Mm-hmm. HoloLens is intending to replace your desktop monitors. Really? So I think the intention for HoloLens is that you would wear it around a typical computing environment for I'm like so you'd have it in your office or you'd have it in your your home when you're doing work, but you wouldn't wear it. At least I don't think they would want you to do this, or I don't think that's the use case. Mm -hmm. It's not something that you would feel comfortable or that would even work. I think out in public. Okay. Whereas the Google glass was much more of a, Hey, I'm, you know, I can take it to the restaurant and use it to take a picture of the food that I'm eating kind of crap. Right. So I assume that since Microsoft has a hold of this and has developed uh, HoloLens, that they see a business application for this. And and I've seen, you know, the type of business applications I've seen for augmented reality was the type of thing where you're looking at the, you know, you're looking at the circuit board and it's it's telling you what resistors are, you know, giving you some information about the circuit layout or you're 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 working on plumbing and it's telling you where the, the high pressure line is and the low pressure line is and and you can read some. Uh, you know, uh, technical repair book or something as you're working on this device. But but what you've just said doesn't sound like this device is set to go more than about 10 feet from the computer. I don't know the specifics yet of how HoloLens is going to, is actually tethered to anything. Mm-hmm. So the I guess the big distinction when we're discussing them is 
all of these appear at least, and I can guarantee since I own both the Rift and the Vive, those are com- those are computer displays. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do things that normal displays can't do, but they are still plugged into a HDMI port on a PC. The HoloLens somehow is slightly different. I can't remember if it's wireless or not, and I'm too lazy to look it up. But it's it is tied to some sort of external computing platform. And all, all at least three of the four devices that we're kind of discussing at the moment are still PC accessories. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that has to do with just the limits of the hardware. So, I mean, I, I, there is also a totally fourth or fifth option here, which would be like the Gear VR. So, you know, there are plenty of platforms like uh, Google Cardboard, et cetera, right. that are utilizing mobile technology and creating VR experiences. Mm-hmm. But I would say that that's like two orders of magnitude different in terms of quality. Um, and I, this will sound snobbish, but I mean, it's, it is true. It's it's like the difference between a monochrome monitor and a you know 1080p monitor. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there there's such a world of difference in the graphics rendering capability of a mobile ARM processor versus a high end NVIDIA GPU, right? Tethered to a high end Intel chip, mm-hmm. you know, with a 500 watt power supply, right? So all everything that we're talking about, it, it is still. PC centric and thus would probably be quickly portable or lots of, I guess, engineering software could be ported for it. But I I actually don't think that's where it's going to go. But I should still mention the fourth option or the fourth player in the market right now, which is Magic Leap. Okay. Um, It would be a mistake to say that this is vaporware. (laughs) Okay. But at this point, it's indistinguishable from vaporware. (laughs) Okay. Um, I mean, they had some videos that came out, I don't know, six months ago that seemed to generate a lot of activity, a lot of interest. Yes. So it is a company that has a, I guess, a wall of, it's, it's, it's a technology that's wrapped in a legal fortress that, (laughs) that, uh, Nobody can't. Nobody who's used it can really get information out of. So, everyone who's used it and played with it has signed a massive NDA, and nobody has really shared, you know, what their experiences are, what the technology is. You know, it could be basically something out of Willy Wonka's factory, for all I know. Mm-hmm. But the people who have used it have basically said it's crazy transformative. It people who have tried it basically have just ponied up and given hundreds of millions of dollars to a company that doesn't have a product out yet. And, and like, these are smart people, smart money. So it's, we know it's some kind of augmented reality system. They talk about being a light field technology, but beyond that, we don't know. We know it's, it's, it's probably some, something close to HoloLens, but something about their technology makes it so much different and better that I don't think anyone anyone who's tried Magic Leap if not, has not said, 
oh, it's like HoloLens, but they've said there's nothing like it. Mm. So am I correct in that the the job of trying to create a virtual reality environment would be easier because you're not having to match your, you know, the position of items and objects in your world with what the user is actually seeing in reality. Uh, are you saying for virtual or augmented? For, I'm, I'm, I may have gotten that wrong. I'm, for augmented. Um, my understanding is, so the things I've seen, like the Magic Leap stuff, you know, they would have a tiger leap from one table to another table. Well, in order, if you do that in virtual reality, you control where this tiger starts and where the tiger ends. But in augmented reality, you have to match up where the, the user is looking at the table so that it looks like the tiger's on one table and jumps to the other table. So it, it, I, I think you've hit on a point, but I also think that there are certain things that make it easier. Okay. Um, part of this is speculation. Part of it is based on what I've heard people who are in, in the industry discuss. Uh, and, you know, at some point we can discuss why, you know, wh what's required for, for acceptable virtual reality, which is something called presence. Okay. Um, I would say that, or I would not be surprised if the hardware requirements for augmented reality are significantly lower. That the major hurdle for good augmented reality is solving the physics of how do you paint light on a retina mm -hmm. and how do you handle things like, you know, where do people look and, you know, things like, uh, where people cho choose to focus their eyes and how that changes the rendering of whatever you're trying to do. But I mean, so at, at a bare minimum, you know, a tiger on a table in front of you, per your example, you only have to render the tiger, right? You know, you're rendering a discrete entity that's inside, that's, that's in an environment. Whereas in a virtual reality environment, you've got to render the entire environment. Mm -hmm including the things that maybe people aren't focusing on. I'm guessing that that is more hardware and thus power intensive. I don't have anything to back it up, but it just seems like it. Sure. Um, and I've also heard it said by people who have played with HoloLens, and I again, I haven't heard anyone who's really played with Magic Leap, that a lot of the issues with motion sickness inside of VR are solved inside of augmented reality because you have, you know, more traditional visual cues. Sure. Um, but yeah, you're, 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 you've got references of the real world. So you don't exactly. have to worry about the, the inner ear and your vision not matching. Perfect. Yeah. And I guess that's, so anyone who's played with virtual reality has probably had virtual reality motion sickness or, virtual reality sickness at some point where anytime your your eyes you the way your brain is perceiving through your eyes the environment moving around you differs from what your inner ear and the rest of your you know motion based senses are are telling your brain mm -hmm. you get sick really quickly and for some people it's really intense like my wife played a game once that was particularly brutal and, you know, was telling me hours later that, like, I still feel sick from that. I don't ever want to try that again. <laughs> wow. Um, I, that particular game. Like, it's, you know, uh, actually, like, a, a that game is, it's called uh, Dread Halls. 
and it's you know something that we take for granted like anyone who grew up playing doom you know you have the character that you're moving through a 3d environment and you can use the keyboard to turn look left look right well it's a similar type of game but you're moving through the environment and you can turn your head and look around but you can still use a gamepad to basically traverse the environment and so as you're traversing through the environment you have no feeling of motion but your eyes are telling your body that you're moving and it's really disturbing. Mm. Um, there's another game called onward that I've played recently where you just have to suck it up and like (laughs) say, I'm not going to get sick, but it's like a counter strike type first person shooter game where, you know, you're moving through an environment, an environment as a soldier. And like, there are honestly times like it's a fun game, but there are times where like, I just want to fall over. Like my body does, has no idea which way up or down is. Mm hmm. Because, you know, you've got a character that's running through an environment and your body's going, I'm not running. I'm standing st- standing still and well, what's happening? Yeah. Yeah. But, and, uh, and so um, how long does it take you to recover from this? I mean, once you take the headset off. Uh, I've never really gotten full, like fully sick. Okay. But it's I've heard it. I think I've heard the guys untested describe similar situations that my wife has been where like it's a long if you get sick it is a long lasting take it off hours later you're still like I, I don't feel right right I've felt different things like you know where I've I've played a game for you know four hours or so and I'll take I remember one night it was midnight and I take off the rift and I look outside and my my Garage door was open and my lights were on inside of my garage and there must have been something, the rift does something with how you focus on things in the near field and far field because mm-hmm. I don't think it's quite infinite focus, but it's it's not like how you would normally focus on an environment and I swear that the shadows inside of my garage were moving. Mm. Like I got really concerned. Like, and it was like not subtle. They were like dancing. And it took me about a minute or two to basically be like, there's no one in the garage. Like, <laughs> like those are just the cars. Like, they're not moving. Nothing's yeah. moving. Yeah. But yeah, that there are some real world artifacts from having immersed yourself. Right. So as a, as a early adopter and a owner of both the Rift and the Vive, What's your opinion? Have, have these been uh, worthwhile purchases as uh, as toys, as uh, instruments of uh, learning? That's a good question. Um, as a father, I will tell you, I don't get to play them as much as I wish, as I <laughs> uh, as I as I would. Okay, well, that's good. That's that means that you enjoy the time you get to spend with it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this will sound like any review you can have of, so if you go on Reddit, you'll see the flame war between Rift and Vive owners who are competing needlessly for who's got, who wasted their money the best. <laughs> right. Um, I will say that the, um, the HTC launched as a room scale product even though the the Rift is capable of doing room scale, um, the HTC Vive launched with hand controllers and a volumetric 
position tracking system that lended itself to a lot of games where you get up and walk around an environment. Whereas the Rift games, I would say, primarily were, you know, gamepad type games and you're sitting down doing things. Mm-hmm. So the Vive games are really compelling. They're really fun. The replay value is really cool, but they are buggy as hell. Mm. They're fun, but like it's 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 a testament to how much fun it is that like things that you would think would be totally unacceptable for a game you paid thirty bucks for, like oh I got to reboot it because I fell through the floor again. <laughs> um, but I'll also say like the Rift games are way more polished. Okay, they're very fun. I probably have spent equal time in both. The Rift is way more ergonomically refined. In a way that, like, if you did use it for a monitor of some kind, um, you'd definitely choose the Rift or the Vive. Sure. It's way more comfortable. It's way more balanced. It's different, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not tried the HoloLens. I look forward to that someday, though. Right. And obviously not Magic Leap, or even if you had, you couldn't tell us. I would be shot. <laughs> right. Seriously, I mean, so, I mean, I hate to be so nebulous about that. I, I have imagine, I imagine if in the next year we had done this podcast, uh, we would be talking about Magic Leap and probably nothing else. Okay. If, if the hype, if it lives up to the hype and the people who have made vague testimonial says it does live up to the hype, it'll be transformative. It'll be something that we all have. Right. Um, as opposed to a niche product like the Rift or the Vive. Right. Uh, so uh, your experience has been mostly with virtual reality, and obviously there are some uh, fun games that you can play in that. Can you see a, or do you know of, are there already in existence good business applications for this technology? Not in a way that you would typically think. Okay. Um, you know, I brought it into my, I brought my Rift into my office and like, my boss was immediately like, okay, I can, I can see this being used for, he does a lot of uh, 3d mechanical stuff. I can see this. This is better than my, my 2d rendering of a 3d object. Mm -hmm. And I, I I could see that it, it, when SolidWorks works with Oculus, Oculus, it will be amazing. You have another issue that I find, which is everything is still tied to a keyboard. Okay. And I, I love people who claim that you can use a keyboard and, and use an Oculus at the same time. I can't, and I bet you ninety percent of users can't. Is it a matter you have to be a pure touch typist to? Yeah, you can't see the keyboard. Okay. Or you can barely see it through the bottom of the Oculus. It's it's just it's difficult, mm-hmm. and you wouldn't be able to see it at all through the Vive. There's no um, nose window. But one thing that I think is really interesting is the telepresence applications. Mm-hmm. And this was something that was featured very prominently in, um, I guess, Facebook's roadmap for where they want virtual reality to go, where they showed in very contrived situations people trying out virtual reality and, and you know, hey, let me show you what we're working on in the lab. Right. And you're in the lab with the giant, you know, Facebook drone. 
And I mean, as silly as it seemed, it actually did seem compelling. It seemed like, you know, I have things that I wish I could be sharing with my customer in a more, um, my customers in a more uh, immersive way. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, like when we talk about the location of certain connectors, buttons, LEDs, you know, how the package will be integrated into larger systems. If you could move around the environment and, you know, or put somebody in the lab and say, hey, this is, this is what we're seeing. Like, do you see what's happening right here and you're pointing at it? That could be really compelling. Um, and I've actually used FaceTime for that. That was, that was an early technology that was, you know, I'll, I'll, I have more than once FaceTimed with customers or, you know, people that I'm working with technically so that, you know, while I'm either not there or in a, like, uh, you know, I had one person inside of a, uh, I was inside of an anechoic chamber and had somebody messing with some equipment outside of the anechoic chamber and FaceTiming the readings from outside the anechoic chamber so I could interact with the device that we were working on and see how it affected the equipment on the outside of the chamber. Right. You know, those kinds of things. Little, Little novel uses for this consumer technology. I could see that that's going to be, that's going to happen much well before you have SolidWorks and, and virtual reality. Well, it's a much bigger market. Um, the ability to show somebody something than SolidWorks users. Yeah. Um, I think there'll have to be a lot of work with respect to styluses and how do you, I mean, and there are 3d sculpting programs, uh, you know, kind of the virtual reality equivalents of paint, except way better than paint. Right. Um, and people, I mean, those do seem compelling, but it's also, you know, you're, you're not looking at paint. You're waiting for Adobe to come out with something. <laughs> right. And I also put down in our notes, Foo. That's an interesting technology that, one of the original contributors to tested the tested podcast launched Mm -hmm. where you have shared 3d environments, almost like a television show. Hmm. Um, it's a bit difficult to describe, but imagine a television show where you can basically get up and walk around the stage after the fact, you know, when people are picking up an object and saying, look at this widget, you know, and discussing it, you can walk up and grab the widget yourself. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really interesting. I could see that being very useful for, you know, learning and training inside of engineering. But you've also got to, all of you have got to go convince your bosses to buy Oculus Rifts or <laughs> HTC Vives. <laughs> right. So putting on your, uh, you know, your, your fortune teller hat, or maybe you pull out your fortune teller crystal ball. Do you have any sense of where we are in the in the learning curve? I mean, it's like AI was something that was big and going to happen in the uh, mid seventies to mid eighties, and yet it sort of disappeared. We never had the computing power; they weren't able to make it happen. And all of a sudden, in the last couple of years, you know, machine learning has just exploded, and all of a sudden, it looks like many of the things that was were once predicted. Uh, can finally take place for 
whether you want to call it AI or machine learning, it seems to me that a lot of a lot of these applications. I mean, just just for me, putting together a uh, a screencast is a lot more work than putting together lecture notes. Uh, mm-hmm. And you you know you go back and you have to make sure that the, the the slides match up and and you you mess up the audio several times and so my thinking is that going back and doing this programming where you have this immersive environment now you have to make sure that everything matches and and that you know so I I'm excited about the the teaching opportunities the learning opportunities uh, the sharing with customer opportunities but is it going to take us twenty years for the tools to get established or do you think this is two years away? I think the hardware is here. I think the software and the consumer acceptance of that software is years away. Mm. So, I mean, it's a bit like the first computers. I mean, computers launched and were useful and used by a lot of people before they were in everyone's house. And maybe it's even a little bit more like the internet, where the internet ended up in a ton of people's houses before. I think it was really useful. (laughs) Right. It was a toy. It was a toy first. Yeah. You know, oh, I went to the, I went to the first web page, right? Look at all these GeoCity pages I can go to. Right. Um, the hardware's here. It's definitely here. I think convincing people to use it and coming up with compelling situations and also compelling situations that aren't necessarily games are going to be tricky. And I think it's also something where people don't even know what it means to be successful and design those things. So here, here's a rambling but a good example of what I'm talking about. Um, so like if you think about like movies, mm-hmm. like it seems obvious like when if I was to tell you, hey, you have a virtual reality tool, what, do you, what products are you going to launch for it? At some point you would say, well, movies – and storytelling inside of virtual reality is so different that the rules have to be completely rewritten in a way that, um, like, when you go and watch a movie, the director decides what you're going to watch. But in a virtual movie, you can look at whatever you want. How do you get people to cohesively follow you around through a narrative? Mm-hmm. And, you know, how do you get people to look where you want them to look? and make those visuals compelling. You know, I think about like, uh, like uh, movies that nobody's seen, but like, you know, that really artistic way in which the way uh, the guys walk in reservoir dogs look, the slow motion, you know, shuttered walking. Mm -hmm. Like if you could, if instead of looking at the guys walking, you could look at the graffiti on the alley of, you know, or like the hubcaps of the cars, you'd miss the entire experience. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of virtual reality software will suffer from those things. People don't know what a good virtual reality is. People, like what I said with that game, people don't even know how to move you around virtual reality environments in a way that like doesn't make you sick. Okay. So it's like the the same way that there's a, there's sort of a formula for best-selling novels, and there's a formula for a lot of the blockbuster movies uh, because people over the years have figured out what works and what doesn't work. And you're saying there's going to be a yep. certain amount of time for the art of sharing a story or, or informing somebody through virtual reality or augmented reality. It's going to take a while for us to figure out what that, that method is. 
Yep. Well, it, it, this seems like uh, reminiscent of a lot of new technologies, um, even like the early, the early silent films and the early uh, talkies were they developed into a different way of telling a story than theater, which preceded it. Um, and the early films where they tried to do theater, it just didn't quite feel right mm-hmm. until they, they got it figured out. So it's the same thing again. They, we need, we, the people who are developing these things need to figure out what that medium is, figure out how to walk through an environment, manipulate things. I mean, manipulate things with your hands, potentially. I mean, that, that seems like the simplest thing. I'm trying to work on something. I want to touch it. Yeah, exactly. I want to spin it. Um, that's not a simple task. And, you know, the kill, I mean, you hate to use the term from early PC development, but the killer apps, like nobody knows what the spreadsheet is for virtual reality. Mm-hmm. I think personally, I think a really compelling case that'll get virtual reality into a lot of hands um, is the virtual virtual movie theater. So if, if you're on a 10-hour flight to China and you can pop on your Gear VR or your you know Google Pixel, because um, I think that comes with a virtual reality setup, and basically being a movie theater, mm-hmm. watching your movie as opposed to like, you know, being on a plane looking at a little screen, that's a compelling use case. To basically be where you're not is actually really interesting. Hmm. And it's also, it's, it's kind of low hanging fruit in a way it's, you can render it good enough that you'll, even in a mobile setting that you'll accept it. Okay. Patent pending. No, it exists. <laughs> like it, it's, it was one of the first things developed and it, when I, it was actually the application I went and tried out when I decided to buy my rift, you know, it, it exists. It like is a thing. Um, like one of my favorite things to try, and like whenever I demo my Rift for family members and friends, I love the 360 photos. Like to me, even more like above and beyond games, like the whole notion of like being able to, to at least momentarily travel places that I've never been and probably it's just not practical that I'll ever go there. Um, you know, just stand in like, you know, stand on the summit of Everest is, it's interesting. I mean, it's really interesting. And the technology is good enough to basically put you there. And, and so this is a, basically a photograph as opposed to a generated reality. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I actually don't know entirely when photos and generated realities begin and end, to be honest. Well, we keep we keep getting closer and closer. No, here's what I mean. Um, there appears to be two different technologies, and I don't entirely understand the difference between the two. But there's there's really crappy 360 video, and there's really good 360 video. And as you know, as stupid as it sounds to say that, I'm pretty sure the really good 360 video is taking video and turning it into a rendered environment mm-hmm. as opposed to taking video and just playing the video. Right. And like, 
I never watch 360 videos, but like when I can actually see one of the high end rendered 360 videos, I do it because it's it's really cool. Okay, and, and so uh, so I'm getting sense. So are you able to watch? I mean, if there's a movie you want to watch, do you sit down and watch it through the Oculus Rift because you can pretend that you're in the movie theater instead of in your family room? Nope, no, I'm pathetic, I guess. <sighs> nope. Okay. <laughs> I mean, is that possible? Are people doing that? Sure. Okay. Absolutely. Um, for me, it's my virtual reality setups are in two different places. So if I want to use my Rift, I have to, I, that's where my computer is right now. But if I want to use my Vive, it's in a totally different room because it's a larger room and I can walk around it. Okay. Um, you know, and I, I would say when I'm, when I have the chance, I'll play games. But I would also say that work has been stressful enough that the immersions of the of the the immersiveness of the games is not necessarily a stress relieving activity. Sure. So sometimes I just want to shut my brain off. Sure. And you can't do that when you're being shot at, <laughs> and you actually believe it. Right. I, actually, I mean. I can't underscore that. Like we've all played flight simulators before, right? We've all crashed a plane in a flight simulator. I have never like felt dread before when I was playing DCS world and I crashed a P 51 like in like, it was terrifying. Hmm. Um, it's interesting. Okay. Well, so does this, uh, what do you think the, promises then of this technology for training you mentioned that earlier that you know you could do some training or educational or, or get people to experience things and obviously there's a certain reality to that that you can't get in in the other visual technologies we have available to us these days is it just a matter of waiting around for the software to get good enough yeah and mass adoption of the i mean if if every workplace had oculus and vibes in them or magic leaves or whatever um I'm sure there'd be a lot more content. So it's a chicken and the egg kind of thing. I think it would be incredibly useful for, um, for training, for documentation, for, uh, remote collaboration. Mm -hmm. But you've also got to have a user base. Like these things have to get in people's hands. Right. Um, it's actually more, I, I, I think it's almost more likely. If in a professional environment, it's more likely inside of an engineering environment than anywhere else. Like I could definitely see engineers going, you know, in, in, with engineering budgets going into this as opposed to the legal world, for lack of a better word, or, you know, or even education for that matter. There's just more money and, you know, it's cheaper than a 3D printer. And how many offices have a couple 3D printers sitting around? Yeah. Not to bash 3D printers, but. <laughs> well, so let me ask, is is this all part of, um, the other day I was listening to a, a podcast and they're talking about that we're slowly moving to the idea of this uh, uh, ubiquitous computing environment. That is, at some point we don't have a computer, we just go to the nearest terminal and log in, you know, through whatever interface we want. You know, maybe we're, uh, we're familiar with the uh, the Microsoft and their Cortanas, or maybe we're you know Apple and Siri, or we're Google and whatever they have, or you know whatever the interface is of our choice. 
But basically, we're not logging. You know, we give our password or we hold up our hand or whatever we do to log into the system. But basically now, it's all in the cloud. And, you know, the knowledge sort of gets shared and we have this, you know, the higher levels of artificial intelligence working for us. Uh, and it seems a little crazy now, but maybe, you know, five or ten years down the road, this seems a lot less crazy. Uh, and so is the is the, you know, the virtual reality and the augmented reality headsets, is that just the natural extension uh, as we move into that, into that phase of, of human computer interaction? I would, agree. I would think so. You know, I, I think a natural next step for ubiquitous computing is going to be blurring the lines between what is and is not a display. Mm-hmm. You know, what it, like what's real and what's rendered. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, as silly as it sounds is I can't help every time I go into a uh, fast food joint these days and they've got the uh, the flat displays, TV screens up there and, you know, they're shifting and uh, they're showing uh, moving objects there on the screen. And I'm I'm having these flashbacks to like Blade Runner and these various things. And and to someone who was uh, a a, uh, born in the 60s, the 1960s and and. you know, at that point, you could not, you could not, could not just dream that you'd ever have something TV-like that was that thin and so cheap that you could be putting it up on the wall of a of a hamburger joint. Um, and so it, it's, uh, you know, the the fact that this stuff seems to be coming so quickly, uh, and and uh, the advancements are made, it just uh, I'm both I'm both scared and I'm awed by uh, the possibilities of of what what these technologies might lead to. Actually, the upside of all of this, I mean, of of the current state of virtual reality, though, is because it's so heavily leveraged off of mobile technology. Mm-hmm. It's going to get cheap quick. At least you would think it would get cheap quick. Um, you know, it's not using any unobtainium. <laughs> right. You know, there's nothing. I'm trying to think of something that was horrendously unrealistic. That um, Laserdisc, maybe? I'm trying to think of a dead futuristic technology that was well, I 3D mean, printing. <laughs> up until recently, yeah. I but I mean, it's it's not using anything that makes it only the domain of people who are really wealthy, and it's something that inherently scales. What do you mean by that? By it inherently scales, it's made of components that are manufactured in high volume. Okay, already. You know, so it's well. If I understand that, if I for our, our previous uh, from our previous episodes, it sounds like every electrical engineer has to be picking from basically high volume components anyway, because nothing else gets made. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, that's <laughs> certainly true. But I'm, I'm uh, the problem that you actually, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Is <laughs> I'm trying to think of historic devices that didn't do that and failed as a result of not using cots. Mm-hmm. And all the only thing that's come to my head is maybe laser disc and mini disc. Well, I think part of the problem is they failed. Yeah. But also I'm thinking of something that remained really expensive. Hell, the original virtual reality setups were like, no, those were a hundred thousand dollar machines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they sucked. Right. Well, you know, in comparison, the early VHS machines, uh, when I got out of college, I bought a VHS machine that uh, played in stereo and had nice features. And I think that 
I paid well over $500 for that thing. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> well, and, and, and you, you know, to, or if you bought one of the early uh, uh, Radio Shack uh, TRS-80, the Trash-80 computers, you were paying, I think, seven $800 for those things. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the <laughs> it it changes, and you think you think about the amount of computing power, just raw computing power that is in a Raspberry Pi that you can buy for under thirty bucks, and you go, "My God, how how did it get so cheap so quick?" Yeah, and I'll, you know, one that came to mind is think about night vision. You know, mm-hmm. night vision in how it was initially conceived, and even how it's still used in the military. It's basically custom-made semiconductor components, right? Mm-hmm. Which are, as anyone knows, are incredibly expensive. Whereas night vision, as you can get in any modern security camera, is was all designed with infrared emitters, infrared uh, CMOS image sensors. Mm-hmm. Really cheap, scaled incredibly quickly. Right. The virtual reality setups that exist all leverage mobile technology. You know, how how cheap can you get an Android phone these days? And then basically say, you know, that Android phone is probably more complex in many ways, not in all, but like in many ways than a Rift. It just hi- has higher volume. Right. Well, and, the, and if this stuff takes off, there's no doubt that uh, other people will enter the market. And they already are. Microsoft profiled, you know, half a dozen vendors that are entering the market with, generic virtual reality displays of some kind. Uh, PlayStation just launched an accessory for their gaming console that is much cheaper than the Oculus Rift and works with a PlayStation 4. Right. Not as good, but I mean, it still works, though. Right. So can you foresee the day when we get to the, uh, the holodeck-type technology where you don't have to wear the headset? I think that's ho- I think that's Magic Leap. Well, for with Magic Leap, you still have to wear some sort of glasses, don't you? Uh, are you talking about an environment that's rented around you, or are we talking about the magic contact lenses that people talk about? Ooh, magic contact lenses. That sounds good. I've I don't believe that magic contact lenses are going to work. <laughs> I don't think you can. I don't. The human eye can't image anything that's directly on the lens. Right. But but at what point do people have their eyeballs replaced with high-tech HD devices that will allow them to do that? Never say never. I've <laughs> well, isn't it the plug in the back of the neck for plugging into the Matrix? Forget the eyeballs. You know, it's I vaguely remember reading, and I can't remember where it might have been, the IEEE uh, Spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, this was probably, this was... You know, at the height of the global war on terror when we were spending money on insane things, uh, super soldier type kind of stuff. And this is going to sound like the X-Files, but I'm pretty sure this was real. Where they were talking about adding, you know, a sixth sense and exploring novel and potentially cheap ways in order to get a... Uh, brain machine interface, right? So think cochlear implants, which for people don't, who don't know that are uh, a hearing rehabilitation or hearing aid type device where you have an external speaker that is effectively wired directly into the nervous system. Right. 
So one of the ways that they experimented with and evidently found some success success is to place electrodes on the back of the tongue and using a similar idea to cochlear implants, you know, uh, basically a, a grid of uh, electrical impulses, the brain could rewire itself to accept as a additional sensor things like sonar. Hmm. It's not far off. I just don't know how practical it is. You still got to put something on your tongue <laughs> or have something sewed into you. Right. Which I think the displays will just get better first. <laughs> right. <laughs> I do. That, that is real. I'm pretty sure that that is real. I want to Google that right now. And with my new microphone, I can Google this without knowing you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the same time, for the masses putting on a, a headset is a whole lot easier to spill to swallow than getting an implant installed. Yeah. It's different if it's saving your life, you know, so you don't get shot or something. Right. Yep. 2006. I'm not crazy. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, any, any sort of summarizing thoughts, Brian, for our engineer listeners that, might think about playing with virtual reality as a toy or uh, trying to figure out down the road how to integrate these technologies into their workspace, their work life? If you can afford it, get one. I mean, if it makes sense. I mean, go and look at some of the games on YouTube. And, you know, I hate to say games at this point, but, you know, it's 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 what's going to push the technology. Sure. Right? So go and see that. If it looks compelling, buy it. Don't sit on the sidelines. And you said something about going to see it before you purchased it. Where does one go to preview a uh, Oculus Rift? Oh, that's a good question. Right now you can go to Best Buy. Um, when I bought mine, I pre-ordered mine. I went to Best Buy and played with the Gear VR, which is the mobile system. Okay. Just so I could kind of get a reference as to where the technology was. Okay. Uh, I believe the Microsoft stores also have... HTC Vive's setup. And I wouldn't be surprised if you can get HTC Vive's in uh, Best Buy stores too. Uh, and I imagine there's no way you're not going to be able to play PlayStation VR at the same time. Magic Leap, go sign an NDA and go get a job. <laughs> right. And, and for our international uh, listeners, uh, Best Buy is a retail chain here in the United States. Yes. Maybe, maybe they're international as well. I don't know. You know, if you consider Canada international. <laughs> okay. Um, but actually, I don't even know if they're in Canada. But anyways, the plenty of retail establishments will have them out, and I think you make an appointment and you can go and play with it for a while. Okay. And and software you download through your computer? Yep. Oculus and Facebook have their own software distribution system. Uh, the Vive uses um, Valve steam steam is the digital content distribution system uh, managed by managed by valve okay well it sounds like there's a there's a uh, an exciting future to these technologies ahead of us and uh, maybe uh, maybe in another few years we can come back and revisit this uh, this topic once we've figured out exactly uh, where the industry is going oh it's gonna be fun fun time to be alive <laughs> hopefully. All right. Well, why don't we uh, why don't we call this an episode? 
And uh, thank you, Brian, so much for uh, guiding us through this uh, quick tour of uh, virtual reality and augmented reality. You're very welcome. All right, guys. Well, we'll get together in another couple of weeks, and we'll do another episode of the Engineering Commons. Bye. See you guys. All right. Good night. The Engineering Commons is produced in affiliation with Big Beacon, a social movement for transforming engineering education. For more information about the podcast you've just heard, please visit theengineeringcommons.com. Our musical introduction is by John Trimble, and our concluding theme by Paul Stevenson. <laughs>